You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two guests this week. First up, Chad Finn, a sports media writer and general columnist for the Boston Globe. He is followed by Charlotte Carroll, who covers UConn basketball and the WNBA for The Athletic. In this podcast, Chad and I discuss the interest level in national broadcasts of baseball and where that is, whether e, uh, whether MLB expanding to streaming services such as Amazon and Apple Plus is good for the game. I do not think it is good for fans at all. Get a little into the Michael K. Alex Rodriguez megacast and then uh, conclude with a discussion of ESPN's re-signings of Adam Schefter and Adrian Wojnarowski, what that means, what that means for them, what that means for other on-air talents, and uh, and then a, an ending of uh, whether we think Urban Meyer will be hired in sports broadcasting again. Both of us do not believe that will happen this year, but I think both of us have been long enough not to rule that out for next year for sure, as much as uh, as much as that would be. I think a pretty brutal hire, personally. Charlotte Carroll was um, on the ground covering the Women's Final Four in Minneapolis. She discussed what that was like, the record number of media credentials that that uh, tournament uh, received this year, what it means that the final drew 4.85 million viewers on all of ESPN's platforms. Uh, That's a monster number and one of the biggest uh, the sport has ever seen, certainly the biggest in... I think, I think it was 12 years or something to that effect. And then we get into a little bit of what uh, we both expect from UConn and South Carolina next year. I think both Charlotte and I agree that uh, both teams will be back in the Final Four. And then a little bit on the status of Brittany Griner. Let me point out before we head to the podcast that um, we initially were going to uh, release this episode uh, a couple days ago, but um, put it off because we got Joe Davis, the new voice of the World Series for Fox. So Joe Davis heads first, and then uh, we put this one out afterwards. So check out the archives if uh, if you uh, if you missed the Davis one you're interested. But uh, without further ado, two great guests, Chad Finn and Charlotte Carroll on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, I bring on a regular guest to this podcast. That'd be Chad Finn. He is the sports media columnist as well as a general columnist for the Boston Globe. Chad, as always, thanks for joining me. As always, thanks for having me. You're welcome. And and as always, thank you for working as cheap as you do, Chad. <laughs> All right. So let's start off. I mean, there's a lot to talk about, obviously, but um, to try to play with the calendar here, let's let's start with baseball. And you know, we're taping this uh, uh, a day before uh, opening day, uh, depending on where where you are. You either will get some rain or you won't get some rain. And so I want to start here, Chad. Um, man, there's a lot of national carriers <laughs> covering baseball this year. You know, from our, from what we're, what we know, or from our traditional, you know, Fox and ESPN and MLB Network. Yeah. Now you have Amazon, Apple Plus, Peacock uh, coming around the pike. General question: What kind of interest do you expect with national broadcasts of baseball this year? Not regional, national. Uh roughly the same i guess as last year um you know if we had ended up losing games because of the uh the lockout which was a threat for a little while there um i think that would have been a significant drop off but i think most fans have probably forgotten about that right now and instead their frustration is going to be why can't i find this uh red Sox or yankees game on nesson or yes when it says here that it's uh you know, on Peacock this morning, um, the the frustration is going to be not uh, is going to be not being able to find games that they think are going to be available on their 
local carriers rather than being frustrated at the sport overall and, and disinterested. Do you think, I, I mean, I, it's always an interesting sort of topic of conversation. Like, do you think MLB is smart to try to spread the sport around as many outlets as they are? And this clearly they're doing that, Chad, for money. You know, every one of these new outlets is new revenue for MLB versus centralizing a little bit more, which I think you can't argue against. That's far more fan friendly than um, asking your fans to um, not only purchase cable, but to also purchase these streaming networks. I mean, I, I find it to be an incredibly unfan friendly <laughs> way to do baseball, but they've made a decision like we're going to just basically try to get as much revenue from as much different partners as we can. Yeah. It's a money grab more than anything else. Um, pretty much other than anything else. Uh, I don't see what the appeal is to the young demographics that they're supposedly trying to uh, reach um, that they always say that they want to get. Uh, it just doesn't feel like uh, because the game is going to be on a streaming service that it's going to have any more appeal to the, you know, 21 to 29 year olds or anything like that. And it's, as I mentioned before, it's just going to serve to annoy fans who uh, are used to tradition. I mean, baseball is a routine. You do the same thing almost every day. You turn on the TV at 6.30, watch a pregame show if you're into that, or first pitch at 7 o'clock uh, every night, and it's probably the background noise to your evening uh, if you have a particular team that you really care about. Uh, nobody wants the frustration of trying to figure out day-to-day -day where the game is going to be broadcast. The broadcasters are, are probably uh, – uh, whether you like your hometown announcers or not, that that's going to be another annoyance that it's a different set of broadcasters. And uh, there's really no way look to look at it um, with any ounce of skepticism at all that you should have with this, that um, it's anything but a money grab because uh, uh, the appeal of it really doesn't appeal to anybody who's other than who's making money off of it. What's your expectation for places like Amazon and Apple plus, uh, when it comes to how they're going to present the game. Yeah, I have no idea. Do you? I mean, you know, they're always touting new things and, and uh, um, you know, new angles on the on the broadcasts or, um, you know, having somebody down on the field that's more communicative than a sideline reporter or uh, different levels of analytics that you can present. But um, I don't know what, uh, what uh, exactly that they have planned for that. And again... Uh, baseball is a very baseball fans uh, for better or worse. I mean, this isn't necessarily a great thing either, but they tend to be pretty set in their routine. I mean, I, you, you put the K zone on there and they get ticked off and uh, you know, that's a pretty unobtrusive thing for the most part. You move the score bug around and people are like, why is that in the left corner instead of the right corner? Now it's just uh, um, that's probably the hardest sport there is to get people to change your habits. And uh um, if you try anything drastic, it, initially it's not going to go over well, and it's going to take uh, take a long time before it, it it catches on. Let's talk about sort of the the mega cast options when it comes to baseball. You know, we've seen critical success when it comes to football with the Manning cast. In over this past weekend, Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi got some great reviews for their yeah, that was great. Yeah, that for, was great for their um, you know mega cast option. And again. Um, both the Manning cast and the and the the Bird and Tarazi show, we're talking their audience is 10x less than the main telecast. So you're really doing this a lot of ways for additive value for viewers, which is great, very very fan friendly. Versus like necessarily breaking the bank when it comes to viewers. So ESPN again, uh, Chad now once again sort of approaches this. They have Michael Kay and Alex Rodriguez on a separate broadcast from the main broadcast where they're going to try to sell you on um, a conversational broadcast with Kane Rodriguez. They're going to sell you on, you know, Alex Rodriguez, you know, A-Rod unplugged, basically. I'll, I'll sort of phrase it as, which in itself is kind of absurd, but, you know. He's always yeah. plugged. Yeah, right. Give it, sort of the premise <laughs> continuing. You know, I don't know this to be the case, but, you know, maybe you might – you certainly see, I think, more analytics on there. In theory, you could see more gambling stuff on there. Um, ESPN hasn't announced this yet. There had, there's a press conference actually um, today, in fact, uh, the same day Chad and I are taping this. So, you know, the, the, the canvas is open. They can do a lot of different things. Um, 
I like this kind of thing, obviously, for viewer choice, but both of us cover this stuff. I am realistic. I think viewers, <laughs> would, be, viewers would be surprised at how few people watch it relative to the main broadcast. And to me, I would predict the same with, with Kay and Rodriguez. I mean, if the main broadcast, we'll just play with these numbers for a second, right? If the main broadcast gets a million and a half or two million viewers, right. like I predict that Alex Rodriguez K broadcast gets a hundred or 200,000 viewers tops. That would be that, you know, that that's how I would look at it. You know, how do you see it? That's really a, a, quite a lesser scale than what you get for the Monday night game too, where it's what 10, 11, 12 million for the regular yeah, broadcast. And then a million and a half million six for Mannings. Mannings. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, there's a couple of things here. First of all, I think this confirms Jimmy Pintaro is a huge Yankees fan, which we've always heard because <laughs> my, my question in the conference call later today is going to be what what's in this for Red Sox fans? Because uh, good question. <laughs> maybe, maybe Yankee fans hate, hate watching. I assume. Yeah, maybe so. But, uh, the thing you have to have with this, Richard, and it's what Tarasi and Bird have, and uh, certainly the brothers, the Manning brothers, is authenticity. You have to feel like you're listening in on something that uh, you wouldn't be privy to normally. Like you're uh, invited to this, um, you know, this little party, a get together, people really entertaining, really funny, and know their stuff and know each other. And I, A Rod's never been sincere. I don't know how it works that way with him because he's never been the off-the-cuff funny guy or the um, the one who uh, reveals a, a little bit about himself in a humorous way without it feeling really scripted. Uh, so Kay's got a lot of heavy lifting to do here to get A-Rod to get out of corporate Shark Tank A-Rod mode and to be uh, uh, light and, and funny and uh, somebody that not only guests want to come on with and have a good time with, which was clearly the case on the Manning cast after a while. People really wanted to go on it because... Uh, even though there was the, the quote unquote curse thing was going on, it was really fun and you knew you weren't going to be hit with hard questions. But the other thing was uh, they just liked hanging out with those guys. And um, I don't know if that's ever been the case with A-Rod. So uh, it, a lot of it's going to be on K to make this uh, make this feel light and to loosen A-Rod up. Yeah. So a couple things here. Um, and I, I think everything he says is smart. One, um, I, I, Alex Rodriguez to me is a tough listen for three hours. I'd just be blunt. Uh, I think he's pretty good in the studio, personally, but uh, or in a studio. I setup, do too. I should yeah, say. the Fox um, version. Yeah, yeah, but it's too much. It or or let's put it this way: it was ESPN focusing on him too much that made that broadcast tough for me. It just everything was centered around A Rod and his opinions, and it sort of became the A Rod show. Hey, we've got uh, A Rod here. Yeah, sort of. I mean, you know, Jessica Mendoza essentially became an afterthought and all that stuff. So that's sort of part one. Then again, I think so much of this will be about like, well, how much are you putting on? Um, you know, how much are you going to sort of center this around Alex Rodriguez? And by the way, I like Michael K. Actually, I'm a Michael K. Uh, supporter. I think I think he's a good broadcaster. Um, and I'm not that familiar with him, to be honest. I mean, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I, he can be. He's he. There are people who I think find him polarizing, probably because um, you're always going to have a polarizing. Uh, you're always going to be a polarizing figure as the as the voice or the television voice of the Yankees. He also does a radio show in New York where he, he gives his opinions. But I like Michael K a lot. I, I got no problem uh, sort of saying that. Uh, part two, Chad. Like, I, I do think that because ESPN is ESPN and they're very good on booking and guys like Michael K and A-Rod have a pretty big Rolodex, I think they'll have no problem getting guests. Um, you may not get the same level of guests that the Mannings do, but – like, would it surprise you if, like, David Ortiz popped on that? No, he uh, does everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that kind of thing. Like, you know, like, I, I – or, uh, I don't know. I don't, Who's the baseball Don version? Mad, Don Mattingly. I mean, Derek Jeter probably won't be on. But, like, I, they're going to – I, I don't think they're going to have an issue with that. But I think it gets to what you're saying. Like, when A-Rod is, like, just sort of, like, yapping with somebody or it's it doesn't feel as – it's never going to feel as authentic to me because of who he is, as it will be with Bird and Tarazi bringing LeBron on or the Mannings bringing right. like Russell Wilson on. It just, it that's just an A-Rod thing. It's, it's given his history, given how he has sort of approached his life, like authenticity is like, is not a word I would just identify with the guy. No, it's, you no. know, it's, it's all, it's all sort of performative and pre and programmed and scripted. So obviously one of the reasons he was a great player, but yeah, I'm with you. Kay's got a big lift there, man. I don't well, know. If it, you, it might be too big a lift. Well, you know what? When we when we do 
we may hear this later today, but when you do a conference call with A-Rod, it feels like his talking points are all little Correct. Um, snippets that he's thought over in his head already. Like, yeah. I so already The guy's know- trying to sell me on his cryptocurrency exchange. It's oh, like, I, you know to- what I mean? I don't want it. Hey, I wouldn't bet against that sort of thing either. <laughs> yeah, I just want, like, I would love A-Rod just come out and start cursing. Like, that would be, like, authentic and real. Like, it's just sort of F-bombing things. Well, the beat guys always said what a, how great he was to talk to about baseball when Correct. the cameras are yeah. off. Now, maybe that was part of his image you wanted to present, too. But, you know, you hear that enough, and you think there's a real guy under there. But I guess you don't get to see it when the camera's on. Yeah, I think he is a baseball nerd. Like, I think, yeah. actually, that's true. Like, yeah, I don't. I agree. I, I, like, that comes off to me. It's just, it's everything else. Um, and again... You know, I try to not that I, I, I realize this might be like a controversial take to be fair to Alex Rodriguez, but like it must fuck you up in some ways to be in the spotlight. Like by the time you're 16, 17, 18, and everybody's sort of focused on everything you're doing, it's just an abnormal Truman Show world. So, like, in some ways, I get sort of how he is, but at the same time, there are also other people who have faced that and do not come off nearly as LeBron. Uh, yeah, performative, exactly. Yeah. Right. Even so though he like, is to a degree too, but to a degree, but yeah. but I don't know. I feel like talking LeBron, I'm getting a real guy. Um, yeah, he's actually great in like press conference situations yes. when he's in the right, right. mood. In smaller yeah. settings. Yeah. I think when Le- LeBron gets in LeBron gets in trouble when he tries to sort of spin out of what his original sort of intent was. And then he becomes a little more PR wise. But uh I bet you if you sat around with LeBron like somewhere like a small dinner or something like that, he'd be phenomenal. Yeah. Because I think yeah. he I think he could sort of have a conversation with the guy. Now one real baseball thing as opposed to the, the media stuff of it, man. We both agree the AL East is gonna be a monster. We're both in AL East cities. It's gonna it should be an awesome race. I think every globe uh, our baseball preview came out yesterday. I think we all picked your beloved Blue Jays to win the AL Yeah, they're all everybody the Blue Jays <laughs> now are the they're the fancy team to pick for 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 all the for the for the New York Post and Daily News and Boston Heralds and Boston Globe is the world. Yeah, you know, well, they're, they're the bell of the ball this year. I'm not. I mean, they got a good team, but they lost the AL Cy Young winner. Yeah, like you know, it's again. Semyon. I, I think they have the most talent, but but you know you're still and maybe it's sort of an inferiority complex. Like the Yankees are still the Yankees and their ability to spend and their ability to get people. So I, I still keep my eye on them and the Red Sox. The Red Sox are tricky to figure out. The pen, you know, it's like I feel like everything coming down with the Red Sox is coming, not surprising, coming down to the pitching staff. They're better and, than you, you think, know, always, because I, yeah, they've exactly. got the math that you don't understand on their side. But is that what they they, they tell you? Yeah. By the way, who, who's is Matt Barnes the closer, or am I getting someone else right now? Hey, he's throwing ninety-two miles an hour, but that's the guy right now. But Garrett Whitlock's going to do all the heavy lifting. I like Garrett Whitlock. Yeah, I got him on my fantasy team at a cheap price. Look at you; you're very already. Yeah, you're already. You're already like a Boston. You're like a Sox fan with the the negativity, Chad, <laughs> sarcasm. Um, I think they'll be better than you think. How, what do you think of Trevor's story? Good signing or bad signing? Gives them leverage. Um, Bogarts can opt out of his contract after this season, so uh, they've got. I know, the- and the best guy may be the guy they drafted this past year in the minors. Yeah, who everybody loves. Yeah, Marcelo Meyer. Am I right? Is that his name? He's terrific. Yeah, yeah. He's you, he's one of those guys you can just tell. He sort of has it. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I think I think the Red Sox are going to be better than 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 people think. I do think though, Sale is a big X factor here, depending on if he can come back in June and he- what he can give that team. Yeah, he's had one healthy season in five. It's crazy. He's so, know. you know, that's a guy who could have a TV future that nobody ever talks about if you wanted to do oh, it. That's interesting. He is an unbelievably good quote. He won't talk about himself at all unless things are going badly. But if he, if you ask him about, I don't know, the Jackie Bradley's defense or something, he he could give he can fill your notebook. And uh, thoughtful guy, clearly loves the game, has opinions on stuff. I don't know if it's anything that he would want to ever do. Uh, but he would be really good at it um, if the time comes. It's interesting. Yeah, usually the one thing with guys like that, it, the guys who make that kind of money, other than, you know, A-Rod is really the exception there. You know, if you got hundreds of million in the in the bank to sort of do baseball after the fact. So why do you uh, and I, I, I neither, neither one of us bought the Tom Brady to TV stuff ever, right? Exactly, right, yeah. And now he's, listen, now he's back in Tampa. He's got his coach. He's ready to roll. All right, good segue here to football. Um you know, significant news in the sports media world. Uh, Adam Schefter and Adrian Wojnarowski um, signed their extensions, or or their extensions were announced. I mean, I 
you know, I'd, I'd, I'd need to see them literally put the pen to paper on the, on the contracts, but these things eventually get signed and, and done. Um, you know, the one, not, not, neither of those, neither of those moves, uh, were surprising to me. I'd been working on that story for a while. Um, <laughs> terrible job. Uh, I, I, I put something out like literally seven minutes before ESPN's press release. Oh, no, really? Uh, yeah. Magic how that works. Where do I sort of start with this? It, what's very clear, Chad, from all of this is the ESPN's philosophy. And I don't know if it's a quote unquote Jimmy Fatar philosophy. It's sort of just now an organizational philosophy. They, they want to have what they consider the biggest newsbreakers or best newsbreakers. That's a subjective thing in the sport, in, in their major sports. They want these people to break news and then they want to use that news to basically fuel their ecosystem when it comes to digital, social, all their shoulder programming, et cetera. So then you have to figure out, okay, what is the value of a Adam Schefter in, in their most important property and most important sport, the NFL, and what's the value of an Adrian Wojnarowski in one of their most impro- important properties in the NBA? So that's the reason why you're seeing the crazy money that's going to these guys. You know, a little under ten million, um, sort of, you know, range for those guys. And so uh, I'm not surprised at the re-signings, but it is. I will say, if you just sort of step back. Uh, in 2022, Chad, like had I told you in 2015 that two insiders at ESPN, former newspaper people, would be making like these kind of salaries, you would have told me I was insane. But that's that's the world ESPN now puts them in. Yeah, I wonder if they ever have these reflective moments where they're like, I get nine million bucks to do this. Or I guess in Woj's case, it's seven million bucks. One of the things yeah. that surprised me was the difference in salary there because it yeah, uh, good. You know, uh, Schefter has almost up. twice as many uh, Twitter followers, which I didn't. Yeah, yeah. More, I know Andrew more. Marshan. My Andrew Marshan reported that of the post, and um, you know he's very well sourced uh, in that world with yeah. salaries. Just so people, I mean, Chad and I sort of can give you the background on this. A lot of times when it comes to sort, of, well, how do you, you know? You ask how do you get salaries? Well, you can get them from agents. You can get them from competing agents. You can get them from the place that signed the people. Um, although a lot of times the place that signed the people will try to lowball that number because they don't necessarily want the least likely. The, yeah. Yeah. They don't want the big number out there because then other people, other talent at their place, see that and be like, well, if Schefter's making this much, you know, uh, I'd like this much. A lot of times competing networks may try to float you the money. And yeah, a lot of it is a little bit of a jigsaw puzzle to try to figure out, you know, um, what it is. The best way of course, is to go right to the source. Um, I found that very few people will give you the salary. Although in my case, Chad, a couple of times, You'd be surprised. Some very, very famous people have told me what they make, and so I've always appreciated that. I'm not sure I'd, I'm not sure I'd be able to do that <laughs> in reverse with, uh, with them. So let, you know, we'll use Marshan's numbers. There's no reason to not believe it um, that that they're around that that mark. Um, and so, yeah, like that's crazy. I mean, it's not crazy. You're you're worth what ESPN will pay you, and ESPN always has money to to ultimately pay people what they want. But man, it's I think the thing that's fascinating to me is, will that mean anything for other insiders? Like, does oh, this yeah. mean anything for a Sham Sharnea or an Ian Rappaport or a uh, who's a, who's a big newsbreaker in MLB? Ken Rosenthal or John Morosi? Like, did these guys have these guys just gotten a raise because of this, or is this just an ESPN thing? Well, the passing thing will be really interesting. I don't, I don't know offhand when his contract's up, but he's got a fraction. He he he, he resigned not too long ago, so he's he's That's done. Right. Yeah, he's I mean, yeah, and he's and honestly, his number his number's not close to the Woj. Well, uh, it, it prob- to the Woj chef. It probably shouldn't be. I mean, he's got uh, a 20 percent of Woj's right. following, and Woj has fifty five percent of Schefter's. I mean. Um, yeah, it is uh, again, going back to our original conversation, it is. So do you, do you, are you, are you then say, I mean, this is it. Let's just sort of, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was going to say, no doubt ESPN considers their social media metrics important and, and they have tried to monetize that, but like in a purely in sort of a meritocracy kind of landscape, like Jeff Passan, like breaks significant stories. I'd argue he's a better writer than both those guys by a lot. Certainly, right? so Schefter. in terms of the job, yeah, I mean, sh- in terms of the yeah, Wojnarowski is a good writer. I, I I would say Passons, but it's all subjective. But so in but in terms so in terms of the job, like he's as good at his job, right, as those two are. He breaks but more different diff- kinds of news, I think, too. Right, but so the different, like I'm agreeing with you here. So the difference in salary is one how they measure social media might, and two 
how they value the sport, the NFL and basketball, right? More than baseball. No, that's definitely true. I mean, that, that was, that was my other conclusion when I saw those salary numbers was, well, you know, NFL wins again. I mean, because right. frankly, you know, Rich, if you, you want to talk about what's most credible right now, it's it's more Woj and Schefter. I mean, as great as uh, Schefter is at the job that they hire him to do, he's had a lot of embarrassments over the last couple of years. Agreed. Mr. Editor thing and yep. some really dubious take. Deshaun Watson, his language and some of the tweets. Dalvin Cook. Off. Yeah. I mean, there's... Uh, Dalvin Cook was bad. There's more than, yeah. uh, more than two strikes there. So... Um, but you know the other thing I, I I don't I'm not sure if you mentioned it or not, but um, obviously the the possibility that uh, uh, Vegas would hire these guys uh, ratcheted up their value to ESPN. That yeah yeah I mean I I think honestly I don't think it was nearly as close as maybe some have been reported in terms of like how close they were to going to any of these gambling places, but it was certainly out there. Is it leverage? Um, Is it enough to be leverage? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, yes. The reality is like they're those two guys are represented by CAA. CAA is not dumb. They 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 sort of know how to get that into the marketplace. Um, I do think Schefter was being honest. I think he told this to Peter King. Like, yeah, I mean, I think he he feels that ESPN is a much better place for him to do what he wants in terms of the microphone, in terms of the security, in terms of having, you know, if you're the top NFL insider at ESPN, Chad, that's, that's, that job can't be duplicated, right? You have so much influence in the sport if that's what you want. And so, you know, then if the ESPN is going to pay the money that they paid, it's in many ways, it's a, it's an absolute, um, it's an absolute no brainer, but it really does tell you, I think one of the things that this tells you is just how important the NFL is to ESPN. And so if I was a, if I was a talent at ESPN, I know people hate the word talent. If I was an, uh, an on-air person in particular at ESPN and I could sell, or I could prove to management that I am really making them money, or I am really of value for them to make money off me. I think Schefter just, got you a race i don't know if that's i don't know if i could say that about greg washinsky in hockey or if you know emily, emily Kaplan yeah. or some other or some other sport but i do think Schefter probably got some people in the nfl races that's how I. well the nfl got Schefter a race too right i mean absolutely just, uh, being associated with that league and and having positioned himself to be the, yeah. the the insider among insiders. I mean, I don't know if you look at it that way, but he's still the the first yeah, I one. Mean, at, like, like, yeah, access. I mean, ultimately, there's a lot of issues with people who have access, not just in sports, but in politics as well. But the reality is those people get paid. Yep. You know, like you can, organizations can say that they're not comfortable or, or you know, with with that line, but they certainly are comfortable with it. Like, it's just not, I mean, at the end of the day, ESPN had no problem with Schefter if they just are going to pay him close to, 10 million bucks, correct? Like, that's yeah. it. That's at the end of the day, if you're getting paid that, they're fine with whatever transgressions happen and they'll live with it. And, you know, I'd love to sit um, in on his conversations sometimes, just when he's working his 19 phones and uh, listening to how he swaps information with people, you know, because that's, that's basically well, what he does. Yeah, but I, he's very powerful. And he taught, you know, there's, I mean, Peter King told me this a long time ago, man. Like, you know, if you can provide things for your sources, that's how you ultimately get information. If you can tell your sources things they don't know, like that's of immense value. And Adam Schefter is one of those guys that knows far more about other things going on in the league than the GM of the Browns, right? Or the GM of the Patriots. And so, um, so he's got a lot of, uh, he's got a lot of leverage there. I also think he's a good reporter. I I know he's been shit on lately and I get it, but yeah, don't forget like, the guy, the guy grinded like all back from his days from the Denver writer forever, and, yeah, and elsewhere. And he was great at the NFL Network, and they screwed up royally by letting him go. So you know, we're not talking about a total hack here. Um, again, every right to criticize the dude lately. I, I'm not defending him on that, but like, you know, he it's 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 not black and white here. There's shades of gray with the guy. Like Schefter has. He's, He's reported on some good stuff. He's not sitting there waiting for people to call him, you know. Yeah, he's he's, yeah. he's putting the legwork in. And Wojnarowski, you know, again, that would tell me that they're all in on the NBA coming up, right? When that, when the contract, when the uh, media rights deals coming, you're not paying Adrian Wojnarowski seven, eight million dollars if you're getting out of the NBA. He's got that Woj bomb branding too. I mean, we talk about Schefter being the first guy you look for. 
or whoever yep. it is in baseball, Rosenthal, Passan, whoever. It's Ken for me, actually. But, um, yep. you know, the, the something happens in the NBA and uh, you, you, you see the, the, the term yeah, Woj bomb in your Twitter feed really quickly. He, he, he is far and away the most prominent NBA media person by a ton. Um, that's just the reality of it. Obviously, I work with a guy who's a well-known uh, insider in, in, in Shams, but, I mean, the reality is, like, there's – that guy is sort of at the top of the chain and, 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 and you know, and will be until otherwise. And, you know, now being locked in ESPN, it just, you know, you're going to see him on their most prominent NBA forums and et cetera. So I don't expect that to uh, – that to change. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I floated this idea in a column on The Athletic on um, Tuesday, chat that um, I thought after next year's Final Four, which is in Houston, which is a close, very, which is a place very, very near to Jim Nance's heart, I thought it would be a good move for CBS to make the switch Eagle? on their Final Four, yeah, and title game coverage, make the switch to Ian Eagle or Kevin Harlan, who are... Um, just to be honest, better basketball broadcasters than Nance. Um, now, I wasn't trying to retire Nance because I think Nance would still, if he wants to do it, he'd be awesome on one of the other teams leading up to the Elite Eight. I think you'd actually strengthen your bench significantly because Nance will always give you a good broadcast. He'll never give you a bad broadcast. But to me, like I feel like 2024, be great to see either Ian Eagle or Kevin Harlan in that number one chair. They're just there. How they broadcast basketball like to me is sort of how basketball should be done. They just have a better feel for the sport than maybe other any other broadcasters alive outside of Mike Breen. You a Gus Johnson guy? Yeah. I am. I like Gus a lot. Yeah, I thought he was great. Perfect kind of uh, feel for the NCAA Early round upset guy, right? E- Eagles actually awesome. great at yes. that too. He the, the St. Peter's stuff and uh, calling, exactly. you know, calling games you don't expect. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Um, I'm curious if they do it. Uh, if, I don't expect yeah, them to. I, I, I don't either. But one of the, one of the mysteries from current media that um, has kind of lingered around the last few years is uh, wondering whether Eagle gets the recognition that he deserves. I mean, I love Harlan. I think Harlan's great. I love the Monday night broadcast on uh, Westwood One. Um, is that what they still call it? Westwood One with Kurt Warner. I think. Yep. He's got the, probably the best sense of humor of any play-by-play guy, uh, but I don't know if the NCA looks at him and says, uh, this is the guy we want calling our broadcast, just because he's got a little bit, uh, I don't know, too much too much energy, too much, a little bit of edge to him. I don't know what it is. A little goofiness sometimes. I don't know. Eagle, on the other hand, I think has probably the perfect combination for what the NCA looks for, if they ever look for, and CBS, if they uh, do look for a successor to Nance, but Nance is just uh, was he's been associated with this since the Duke UNLV in what ninety one. Yeah, yeah, you going back thirty years yeah. at this point, thirty more than uh, thirty years. I, I, I mean, again, this is not the shit on Nance. He'll always give you a professional broadcast, but I, I think CBS has better basketball broadcasters. I'm also here's the other one before we sort of finish up on our final topics. Why are networks so wedded, Chad, to the idea that the number one team must always sort of only do like X games. Like there's also no reason. I mean, I know they're not going to do it. Like why couldn't you have the Nance crew do one semi and like the Eagle crew do one semi? Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like why, why and, and maybe CBS's answer would be, well, you know, we want, um, we want the same team doing each of the different games because they might have to do the Monday night game. We want them in production meetings. Are you telling me the NCAA is not going to allow two teams in a production meeting? I mean, give me a break. You're, <laughs> you're paying these guys $500 million for the access. So I, I don't know. I, a lot of times, like teams, uh, networks get wedded to this. I also don't, to me, there'd be no reason why CBS couldn't give Eagle and Charles Davis and Evan Washburn like the number one game one week and give Nance and Roma the number yeah, two game. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe part of it's probably salary. Um, part of it is that they like uh, being able to shine that spotlight and on their quote unquote number one team. And 
um, you know, you look at the the buzz and the uh, the attention that these broadcast teams are getting in general, but particularly with the NFL right now, with the the money, the Joe Bucks of the world and Al Michaels and Troy Aikman and them are are making. Um, they probably feel more pressure than ever to have a quote unquote star in that role. Uh, I, 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 I'm going to give Fox a lot of credit if, uh, you know, Kevin Burkhardt ends up with the roles that we think he's going to get across football in the NFL, across football and baseball, uh, because that's a guy who's worked his way up and probably didn't have that, uh, number one announcer pedigree, uh, among, um, you know, a lot of the people that worked in, in Fox Sports uh, management uh, when he first started out. So I tend to root for guys like that, that uh, uh, climbed up, uh, climbed up the ladder and proved over and over and over again that they were really good at this. Uh, and uh, but we'll see if he has the cachet and the appeal in that role that they seem to want with these uh, superstar high salary broadcasters now. Yeah, and Burkhart's um, he's getting that, uh, yeah. you know. Fox uh, top job. I mean, that's World Series. Done, even yeah. if they haven't formally announced it. it yeah. Um, the, the the interesting thing about Fox right now is that they have made a specific decision not to anoint Greg Olson as the number one analyst following Aikman. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. And I would tend to say, if you ask me today, as I'm taping this on April 6th, that would be my prediction when all is said and done. That they that's end up with him? It's a very e- yeah. Yeah, it's a very yes. It's a very easy decision at the end of the day. You if you believe Greg Olson is a long-term number 1 broadcaster, like promote the guy. Like it's not a hard decision. If you don't, then what you're telling the market, I think now, is that you don't think he's a long-term number 1 and this is why you're trying to find anyone else to work with Burkhart. Fox's problem right now is there's no surefire person they can bring in. You know, there's no um you know, there's no like sort of prospect that just retired from the field that you think can walk into the booth and be and be can't miss. There's no Peyton maybe they Manning can trade for Drew Brees. Obviously, well, the interesting thing about Brees terrible. is had he, well, no, had he come out this year though, had he retired this year, he would be working with no Burkhart. doubt. Do you agree? That's Absolutely who Fox no would have hired, unquestionably. NFC guy, great relationships with Fox. It would have been Burkhart and Drew Brees. For sure. Uh, but obviously, Breeze now with NBC. They did kick the tires on Brady like everybody else did. And, you know, I'm sure they're looking around, but there's not, again, like there's not someone out there who, like, you can bring in who I think just has that combination of potential and sizzle. Um, a couple of years ago, you know how much talk was about Philip Rivers um, maybe doing this? And he eventually went to coach yeah. high school. But I'm not even sure Philip Rivers is like some. Guy comes into the booth and he's he's can't miss. He's a great guy um, to talk to, but he he's not critical. Even yeah. even as as the Chargers yeah. quarterback, he wasn't really critical of other people. So, so I don't know. I don't know who's out there, man. I mean, go back like six or seven years ago when everybody thought Rex Ryan was going to be oh, the next boy. Madden. It doesn't always work out. Like you don't always know. Um, but this is a strange one on Fox because like they haven't made a decision. They they certainly I can tell you for sure. Like the people who are um, you know, who are waiting for this decision haven't been told yet. And so it's interesting. You know, we're into April. You got time, obviously, but I don't know. If you're Greg Olson, I mean, on the one hand, you're obviously psyched that you're, you know, you've been on the number two team and Fox definitely likes you. you good reviews. Burkhart, yeah. But you also on the back. Yeah, good reviews. You also back your mind. You got to be thinking, man, like they just promoted my partner and I'm sitting out here on the island. What's That's what you get on? for being an ex-tight end rather than being an ex-quarterback. You, you know what? I think, weirdly enough, subconsciously, there's probably something to that. Uh, and again, to me, like I actually think, I, I think, I think, I think Greg Olson can do the job. I, like I'm not, I'm, I'm not like on the Olson train. Like you know, this is the next Romo or next Collinsworth. But I think he's, I think he's good in the booth, and I think he can continue yeah. to grow and get better. So um, I'm still going to predict when all is said and done in September, it's Burkhard and Olson week one. But if that changes, I also wouldn't be surprised um, as well. All right, last one, Chad. I feel like I've asked you this before, but I got to ask you again anyway. You see Urban Meyer getting a TV job this year? I feel like we did talk about this. Uh, maybe in the no, context of Gruden. Um, maybe. This year, huh? I, I, well, that's my stance. <laughs> you think Gruden? I, that's a more interesting one. You think Gruden's no, ever come back to TV? And, and wasn't that good anyway. 
and he's suing the well, NFL. Well, that doesn't anyway. help either. Yeah, yeah. That's the. Uh, I mean, and what about Urban this year? Hmm. I mean, that's a question. He comes back. It's a, it's just a matter of whether uh, you know he takes a year away to let some of this fade. Or- I don't think Fox, which would be the one place where he'd come back to. I don't think they take him this year. But if you're asking not even twenty twenty three. I yes, not even. But I put it at fifty fifty in twenty twenty three. That Fox. sounds about right. I think he's back. I'll give you. I'll, you buy that year hiatus. Yeah, bo- Both of us have covered this long enough to know that, like, while you want networks and outlets many times to use um, the character of a person as, as perhaps um, like an indicator not to hire someone if their character yeah. is garbage, but both of us know that's just yeah. not the case. Like it is rarely the case. Like yeah, they like Fox probably wouldn't hire OJ Simpson. Like I feel confident to say that. But honestly, I'm not 100 percent confident. <laughs> I'm like 99 percent confident. Do you know what I mean? And then Urban is obviously lower on the scale than OJ. So I just like if if a network or an outlet believes that you, they can ultimately use you to f- forward their product or monetize you. They'll bring you back, and they'll live with the fallout. So, I don't know. I would put it at fifty-fifty. Urban's back, and in, in one year, if this is, I'll go fifty-one. And I would assume he does. Yeah, I don't think he has many options. I'm not sure. Yeah, he's he can always anymore. go to his club. So. Is he selling that? He's selling his uh, little. Uh, yeah. The uh, the bar yeah. that he has. You mean? His layover like when he is like supposed old, to go like back Mickey to Mantle. Jacksonville. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I Mickey. mean, again, if I, if I read ever again about Urban Meyer values. Well, that, that's Family. the thing, though. I mean, they, that. They, you, you mentioned character. I don't expect them to judge character for the you know, use that as a basis for the most part. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about character. Like if you have infidelity, like you may be against infidelity, but I don't necessarily think that should be a restrict you from um, getting hired by my God, getting hired by a television network. But it's the other stuff. I mean, it's all the other stuff that has surrounded Urban Meyer. That's really you know, phony. from uh, how, yeah, phony, but just even from how he handled um, Zach Smith at, right. at Ohio State to everything you learned about um, his tenure with the Jaguars and just how he treats people and players. I mean, the guy just comes off like, like, a, like, like, like just a total jerk. And I don't know why you'd want that dude to be part of your television family, but. Networks have surprised yeah, us. Yeah, we, we talk about insincerity with A-Rod. It, he's not even at Urban, Lever's, uh, Urban Meyer's level at that. You know, nothing authentic yeah. about him. Well, well said. All right, Chad, anything else before I let you go? I mean, you've given me so much of your time and charged me exactly zero <laughs> Don't give the Globe any ideas. Um, no, no, just, uh, you know, working on baseball preview media stuff this week. And uh, we, uh, we have a book coming out that I'm working on on all the Globe's content, Red Sox coverage uh, through the years. So that'll be out in about a year, but uh, it's taking up a lot of time right now. All right. Good luck on that. We'll look to that. Chad Finn is a sports media writer and general columnist for the Boston Globe, frequent guest on this podcast. Chad, thank you very much for joining us today on the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks for having me on, Rich. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, as I said at the top, we now bring in Charlotte Carroll, who covers... UConn basketball and the WNBA for The Athletic, fresh off uh, the Women's Final Four in Minneapolis. Charlotte, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. You get any sleep? I got up on a little. I think I'm maybe a functioning human at this point. We'll see. (laughs) But thanks for having me You got always important to be a functional human. All right. So very um, open-ended question here. How would you evaluate being on the ground, the coverage of the Women's Final Four? And when I say evaluate, meaning like, uh, your thoughts on just how many outlets and people were there, uh, the you know the kind of coverage that you saw locally. I'm curious to get your insight. Yeah, no. So this was actually my first Final Four, men's or women's. So I didn't really have a point to to base it off of or evaluate it, kind of compare to. But 
just from getting on the ground to the entire weekend there, it was awesome. I mean, you, I was on a plane full of UConn media members. You get to the airport, there's all these welcome banners and, and you're there. And then the actual event, you kind of all were crammed in, in a media room and it was packed. Each press conference, there was hardly a chair to be found. People were sitting on the ground. So that was really encouraging just to see how many people were there and kind of also maybe more than expected to the fact that they couldn't, um, didn't have enough seating for everyone. In terms of coverage, uh, I was reading actually Lindsay Gibbs's Power Plays newsletter and she said, I think there was 600 media credentials issued, which was the most um, I think ever or in a very long time. But there were tons of national outlets there. We were seated by, I was seated next to the Washington Post. Uh, USA Today was just down the line for me. New York Times was there. ESPN were there. Um, in addition to just local writers from, from the Star Tribune doing the local angle and, and getting all that coverage. So it was really exciting to see. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you let's, uh, about the local coverage because that's, um, you know, that's always a pretty good indicator. I will say that uh, Rachel Bachman of the Wall Street Journal said that there were roughly 1,000 media members yeah. credentialed in Minneapolis, so up from the high of the 700s a couple of years ago. So obviously the uh, um, the credential number was up. How how did you find the local coverage? Because a lot of times, like, um, you know, I haven't covered the event in, I think it's three years, but, you know, as I told you before we came on the air, I did cover for Sports Illustrated for like 14, 15, 16, 14 or 15 years in total. And one of the things that was always interesting to me was how much the local outlets invested in the tournament. And I remember when I first started, the investment was not very good. But as the as my tenure there continued, I did see local places start doing more stuff. Uh, newspaper outlets would send more reporters. Eventually, we got even to like some, you know, 10, 12 page previews. It's the way it should be. So, how was it in Minneapolis with the Star Tribune and then the local television places? Yeah, no, there was a ton of different outlets there, and, and the Tribune was there. Um, Star Tribune was there writing stories. I think it helped that they had Paige Becker's huge local storyline, yeah, hometown, exactly. hometown Kid Comes Back. So, that was extra incentive as it was to like to cover this and, and to kind of get into this. But I was impressed. I kept seeing some stories of ours being shared and and different things. Um, so that was exciting to see. What uh, what kind of access was afforded to uh, the media members who were there? So access wise, that would be I guess one complaint I have, and hopefully this is the last of the COVID tournament years, and, and things improve for next year. So what it looked like, I guess I can kind of run through. The, the day before the final four or the day before, excuse me, the national championship game, you had open practices with each team where you could, could watch and kind of see what was happening. Then each team also had a press conference. So the coach would speak at the days. And during that time, the, the players were in what they called breakout rooms, which was just kind of this line of um, kind of separated by curtains and you could pick and choose which player you wanted to talk to. So that was Great, at least that there was some in-person access with the players compared to the, the previous, uh, the day before the final four games where they were up on the, the podium. But it was difficult because you kind of had to make a decision of, do I want to talk to the players? Do I want to go sit in the coaches press conference? Um, and then there was still that it was difficult to kind of get that one-on-one connection because even though the players were separated, there were enough media members where you never got really any one-on-one time with any of the players which is a, a good thing, I guess, in, in coverage of the sport. But it's it's tough to get those details that really make or break a story. So it was kind of up to you if you you could reach out to the school's SID and, and get some one-on-one time. But it but it wasn't like the open locker room that you're able to do in the past. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, one of the things sort of that, uh, you know, I had to make those same decisions that you had to make. And a lot of times for the coaches press conference, you'd sort of bail on that because you'd hope there'd be a transcript of that. And even though you might not ask your question, you know, you're at least getting the, the transcription there. What I always found, which, which is what I loved about the women's um, tournament was you would go and there would be significant amount of people in a press room for like Brianna Stewart or Asia Wilson, like, you know, mm-hmm. those, the, whatever the stars of the sport were, there might be 30, 40, maybe now because there's more credentials, maybe that's like 50 or 60 in the breakout room. But if you would go to, let's say like the third star on whatever the final four team would be, you could sit in the front row and you might not have a one-on-one, but you could have a one-on-three. Yeah. 
and you eventually sort of stick around and the player sort of would realize that you're interested in their story, you really could get a good feature. Because a lot of times you might be in there and it might be some TV reporter who's just looking for like a quick soundbite. And so that was one thing I loved about that tournament was that the equivalent of it for the men, like you're never getting like the number three player on Gonzaga or North Carolina, like that kind of access. But in the women's game, you could really, you could establish something with one of those players, but I'm with you. It's it, it, that was not necessarily the case for the biggest, like Paige Beckers. I'm sure when she did her breakout session, the pro- I bet you it was a hundred people in that room would be my guess. I didn't even try. Um, just because, yeah, exactly. because of, they also actually did transcripts ended up doing them for the, for the players too, which was interesting. But, um, yeah, I didn't bother with Paige. I didn't bother with AZ. I kind of went back and forth with, uh, Olivia Nelson Dota, with Lee Edwards and yeah, Kristen good. Williams. So able to get a little bit, but that much was exciting and fun. Yeah, Lee Everts, Canada, Canada pride <laughs> there. We'll see if uh, she eventually leads that team down the road. Uh, how many people were there for the athletic? We, how many How many people did so we So we had three focusing full-time, and then Nicole, it was me, uh, Chantel Jennings, Shannon Ryan, and then also Nicole Aberbach was there. She was doing radio stuff with Sirius, but also pitched in and wrote this awesome story on Destiny Henderson after the, the title win. So obviously... How does it work... How, so I think readers would be interested in this, or Lee readers. I think listeners would be interested in this. How does it work in terms of how is it decided who does what? You're you UConn, you're the athletics UConn writer. So I would makes logical assumption that you're doing everything UConn for as long as they're there. But other than that, how did it work? Yeah, no, I mean I got got very lucky that UConn made it this far, and I could focus on that. But then we kind of split it up based on what was happening. So with UConn, South Carolina, and the title game, I was going to write. The, the UConn win story, no matter what, if, if they had won. And then Chantel was writing the, the big South Carolina story. And then I was able to actually use some of the reporting that I did in my UConn story to, to kind of just frame it and, and change it with the UConn loss. And then Shannon and uh, Nicole were kind of there to see what else kind of happened and just see what happened in the game. So like Destiny went off, had a career high game. So I was like, okay, we need to focus on her. And Nicole was able to pitch in and write a story on that. And then Shannon was able to respond to what Don was saying in her press conference about being only the second uh, or the only co- head coach to, to win or only one black head coach to win two national titles. So Shannon was able to, to focus on that, thankfully. And it was great. What did the players say about um, the issue of... Um of gender equity in terms of like the facilities that they had, um, the NCAA's attempts to sort of, uh, to make things equal versus the men, you know, Sedona, Sedona, um, what I was about to say, Sedona Prince, Sedona, Sedona Prince, um, really, um, embarrassed them into making these massive changes. Like the, I mean, I hate to be a cynic, but I don't think the NCAA, honestly would have done anything unless um, un, un, you know, be, if not for the fact that this um, this well-known player from the University of Oregon like embarrassed them in the multiple millions of views from her uh, video the year before. So what were the players if they were saying anything about just you know did they feel that things were more equal this year? Did they feel that the NCAA um, was making true and honest changes? How did, how did you see it from your end? Yeah, I didn't hear a lot of those questions just because of what I was focused on, but it sounded like they were, I don't want to say happy, but they could kind of see some changes and, and just maybe more of the perception and the way they were getting treated seemed to be better. Um, like the little things I think were a little bit equaler and they, they did seem to have a, a good time at the tournament, but I think it's just a matter of, is this, kept up and versus like, is this just a one-time deal? Like, is this something they're going to commit to years down the line and going forward and, and keep making bigger institutional changes rather than just showing this one season, like, Hey, we, we responded, we were called out for this last year. We're going to make it look good this year versus um, the upcoming seasons. What did you make when the numbers came out um, this week that the South Carolina UConn final drew 4.85 million Viewers on ESPN, you know, most watched game in in many many years. Uh, the game itself peaked over five million. That's a massive number uh, for the sport. Way up over um, way up over last year. Way up over uh, twenty twenty. And this was done on ESPN. 
Game's not even on ABC. You can always you can only imagine what the game might have done on a network. But regardless, it's really it's it's great news for the sport. But more than that, it's yet again another um, blaring light at the massive interest in this sport, particularly this tournament. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised. You just like you see the the growing interest every day. I feel like every time ESPN PR releases viewership numbers, it's a record number. So it's kind of just like, okay, this was expected and it should be the normal and it should be on ES- ABC. There's no reason for it not to be <laughs> with numbers like this. It's like, okay, we, we got to put it on network television. It's so everyone can watch this product. It's awesome. And, and the basketball is always great. And especially, I mean, UConn is going to draw those numbers and South Carolina is going to draw those numbers. And the idea of UConn and, and South Carolina, we've had really great games between them the last two seasons. If you had the Bahamas matched up, then the intrigue of their, their rematch being canceled mid-season. Last year, you had that page making that crazy overtime shot or crazy end of thriller kind of a shot. So the games have been awesome and the players have awesome stories and definitely should go ABC. All right. Good uh, segue there, Charlotte, uh, to talk about what to expect next year from South Carolina and UConn. Um, from my perspective, I expect these two teams to be back in the Final Four. We actually, if you had asked me today, I would make this rematch the odds-on favorite um, next year. Aaliyah Boston is back for South Carolina. Um, Zaya Cook is back. Uh, they have, you know, as I'm sort of looking at their roster here, essentially every player of consequence back except Destiny Henderson. They have good recruits coming back in. On the UConn side, obviously Paige is back. Um, AZ Fudd is back. Uh, Aaliyah Edwards is back. And they have a really good recruiting group coming in, including some size, which is what they really could use. Um, you know, you cover this on a day-to-day basis much more than me. But if you ask me right now, th- this would be my one and two teams uh, in the preseason. How do you see No, I, I'm right there with you. I think UConn's for sure going to be back. And I think next year might be the team that could win it all. Um, obviously, this team kind of looked like it too. And just with the way that Destiny kind of like played out and in Minneapolis and hometown, it just really felt like it was going to be a team that won a championship, but they just didn't have enough to like push them over the edge. Whereas next year, I think they're going to be really prepared. And I mean, Gene Oriama was talking about this, like as long as everyone stays healthy, he likes their chances. And they assuming they don't have a year, a season like they did last year or this past year, things look really good. I mean, you're going to have all this experience, six of the nine players that played on Sunday were freshmen or sophomores. So they're only going to grow from this experience. You're going to have Paige, who's going to be on a mission after losing in hometown Minneapolis. AZ was sick on Sunday. So you can only imagine how she would have played if she was feeling healthier. And they're just going to kind of grow from this. I mean, you saw glimpses of Caroline Ducharme and Amara DeBerry that Ugino put in and both played. I mean, Amara only played a few minutes. Caroline played well, all things considered. So I'm excited to see where they go. Yeah, it's good for the sport, too. I actually think rivalries are great for the sport. Um, I think it's really great that uh, South Carolina has emerged to where they are. Again, I used to cover this and read, oh, my God, I I got a headache thinking about this, Charlotte. So many stupid columns on how UConn was bad for the game, (laughs) et cetera, usually from people who just parachuted in and never covered women's basketball. Had you talked to any women's basketball coach, they would have told you the exact opposite, and they said, UConn is making our program better because we have to invest more, we have to recruit better, we can tell our athletic directors and our institutions, like, look, if you want us to compete with these guys, you've got to put more resources to us. And look, lo and behold, look what happened. UConn has a one in five years. South Carolina is essentially where UConn is, uh, um, you know, was five years ago. So it's been great for the sport. And that would be my expectation that uh, those two teams will be back. All right, last one for you. Again, you cover um, you cover the WNBA. And I wonder from, uh, you know, we're not so far from the season starting. Uh, who would you say are the, at the moment, the favorites for the title? Ooh, that's, <laughs> that's a tough one. I, I can't believe WNBA draft is next week. It's coming up. Crazy how, how quick it turns around. Yeah. Next year's draft, though. Watch out for yes. that one, by the way. <laughs> um, hmm, I don't know. I would say, I mean, Seattle is always a favorite, especially bringing yeah. Vegas. Yeah. I, I'm not sure what the Vegas numbers are. I'd have to look that up. But um, they're up there with, with Sue Bird coming back for one more year and Stewie. I mean, Sky coming back and, and returning faves. You got to kind of give it to them, Chicago Sky. I, I would yeah. have said. That was a good Phoenix story. Mercury too, but that 
I think you with EG and, and the Russia situation, it plays a little bit into it. I don't know how that's affecting maybe Vegas numbers or anything, but that's a big loss just from a basketball perspective, let alone. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We'll finish up on this. You know, one of the things, I had TJ Quinn on not too long ago, um, and we talked about covering the Griner story and the complexities of it and how it's very tricky, obviously, for the State Department as well as reporters and that, you know, you want people to know what is happening, but in many ways, you don't want to give the Russians the leverage of the story being so big in the United States. Um, but the reality is, as we get close, you know, first of all, obviously, we all hope that um, they get her out of there. But if she's still in Russia, as the WNBA season is about to start, um, you do wonder what the league and what the players sort of are talking about, have been told, and how they're going to approach this story. Because, like, people are going to pay attention to the start of the WNBA season if Brittany Griner isn't back home. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's almost inevitable that that story is not going to get an additional, um, you know, sort of an additional press run. Yeah, it was actually, it's interesting you say that, because I was able, USA Basketball had some practices and media availability uh, over the final four weekends. So I hopped over to one of those and tons of questions about BG and, and just kind of the situation there and all were kind of, I mean, they managed to just kind of say like, and rightfully so hope she's okay. Um, hope BG's fine. And that was kind of the focus at least in this practice, but a lot of questions about that situation and kind of what the, the response is. So as, as you said, you can only imagine it'll increase, unfortunately, and you just hope that BG is okay and everything is going to work out fine. Yeah, it's an it's an awful yeah. story, you know. One of the um, one of the many awful stories that's come out of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But uh, yeah, I think often about uh, uh, when I think about women's basketball, and you know, obviously the great things that happened when it came to this tournament and stuff. Um, but many times it's hard not to just not to think of her because um, this sort of story exists um, as a counterpart to all the amazing things that are happening. Um, that are happening on the court now. Charlotte, I, uh, I hope you keep covering the uh, Women's Final Four. I can tell you from experience, it's such an awesome event to cover. It's so much fun. No, I had a blast, and, and I was really grateful to be able to experience it after two season, two COVID seasons, I guess three almost at this point. Right. Dallas, <laughs> Dallas next year, right? Warm weather. Okay. Yeah, Dallas next year. Where is it in 2024? Do you know? Uh, I think Columbus, if I'm remembering okay. correctly. Back to cold, back to yes. cold weather. But Minneapolis yeah. did a great job. It was a really fun event, regardless of the snow. <laughs> Charlotte, you can be honest. Let's hold that thing in Honolulu. Where <laughs> I am a Midwest born and bred kid, so like that's true. Right? I, I'm you're, used to it, but you're you're a, you're a, you're a, you're an Illinois grad, yes, I think, right? I, I remember. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. From, all right. So yeah, that's true. From you're Chicago, all Midwest, <laughs> but I'm all, all right. for so all for Hawaii if they want to put it there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I we might be waiting for that one. <laughs> Charlotte Carroll covers the uh, covers UConn basketball and the WNBA. For the athletic, you can check her out on Twitter, obviously. And she just came back from doing some great work in Minneapolis with um, our fellow colleagues, uh, Shannon Ryan, uh, Nicole Arbach, and Chantel Jennings, uh, all of them who covered the women's final four. Charlotte, thanks so much for joining me today on the uh, Sports Media Podcast. And uh, and I'll check back with you come WNBA season. Thanks so much for having me on. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Chad Finn and Charlotte Carroll for their time and their insights um, if you like these kind of conversations, head to the uh, Sports Media with Richard Deitch page on Apple 
Google, Amazon, Spotify. Leave us a five-star review and a nice note. Um, that stuff does have meaning, significant meaning, actually, for me. So if you like this podcast and want to continue, want it to continue, uh, uh, please do that. It helps a lot. Uh, previous uh, podcast guests recently, Jim Miller, on uh, did a little more on ESPN's mega contracts for on-air people. Grant Wall on the coverage of the upcoming World Cup in Qatar. For that, Paul Heyman on being part of WrestleMania 38. For that, covering war. Watching post Isabella Krasudian. She is in Odessa, Ukraine right now. We talked to her from there. And uh, she's a former sports writer for the Post to cover the Capitals. And, uh, just an absolutely remarkable uh, remarkable reporting journey that she's been on. And then go through the list. Taylor Rooks of Bleacher Report, Rebecca Lobo and Holly Rowe of ESPN, TJ Quinn, who I referenced in this podcast, um, was a guest, Brian Curtis, uh, Mike Tirico, and Michelle Tafoya, uh, Troy Aikman, Michael and Jake Glazer. Those are uh, like the last uh, 10 or so. Uh, I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his support and hard work. I want to thank um, everybody at Canes 13, and thank you, mostly, of course, for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League Podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.